Hello, welcome to Noir Transformed, the podcast, or Transforming Noir. I'm your host, Moya Bailey. I created and coined the term Noir in 2008, and this podcast is an opportunity for me to interview and talk to some of the people who were instrumental in helping me come up with the term because of the incredible work they were doing online. Join me as I ask guests about their own experience with misogynoir online and how they imagine its transformation. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy as we answer the question, how can misogynoir be transformed? Hello and welcome to the Misogynoir Transformed podcast. I am here with Maya Williams, a fabulous longtime blogger friend. Maya, how long do you think we've known each other in the blogosphere? I was trying to go back last night and remember, and I feel like it goes back to 2008, 2009. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just to get us started, I'd love to hear a little bit about what brought you to blogging and what made you find, I don't know, the digital platform of use or interest to you. Yeah. So um, last night as I was going back in my head trying to remember all of these years, I really started blogging in two. in the summer of 2006. And it was because I was working in, I was in the West Bank, Palestine. And um, I, it was during, it was either right before or during Israel was doing the bombing against Lebanon, which, you know, is interesting right now, considering what's happening right now with Israel um, and Palestine. And they were uh, doing incursions into Gaza and they were doing incursions into the West Bank. And I was working as a journalist in Bethlehem, West Bank, Palestine. And I started feeling I wanted to make connections on this. I wanted to do two things. One, I wanted to just simply record everything that was happening in a more informal way that I had been doing as a journalist, which is, you know, more about news briefs and just sort of like this happened and this happened and this happened. And I wanted to be able to give like context and a feeling about what the life was every day where I was. And two, I really wanted to reach out to um, women of color and black women, especially um, because I felt like the world I was living in was very much focused on sort of like, obviously like Palestinian Israelis and then like white, especially like white male um, journalists and human rights workers. And a lot of them didn't have the context that I had being a black woman, being a woman of color um, in how I saw what was happening in Palestine reflected in in the ways that occupation has happened in the States. And I just felt like there was a lot of context that was lost, um, especially since the US gives so much money to Israel to continue this occupation and colonization. And so that's really where I began, um, just sort of one, writing out my own experiences and two, starting to like read other like blogs out there that had similar, 
philosophies that I had um, around these issues and reaching out and, you know, just feeling like I was creating some sort of community that I wasn't able to create because I was not in the U.S. at the time. Um, so that's really how I started out. And I just started reading other people's blogs and comments and so on and so forth and following people. And um, yeah, and I, I guess I, I started blogging. and <laughs> I kept going. So yeah, that's how I started. The other thing I wanted to say, I realized, is that the other thing that happened that was pretty instrumental is that I got pregnant while during that time in the West Bank. And so at first I had been blogging about, you know, maybe larger socio-political issues. And then I was suddenly pregnant. And I so I wanted to also blog about um being pregnant and being becoming a mother and um, you know figuring out what all of that meant to me and figuring it out in in reflection and uh, in response to how other people were also writing about it. So yeah, I think I was just looking for a community in a lot of different ways. Um, and I got that. So I was really lucky. Yay. And can you talk a little bit about how you knew you found community and what community looked like for you? Sure. I mean, it was you know, it's interesting to go back to that time of blogging, you know, because this is like before social media took off. I think I still had a MySpace at that point. Um, you know, I don't, I hadn't joined, I mean, Facebook didn't, wasn't really going, hitting like that. I think it was still mainly for like college students or something. And so um, one, I, part of the, for me, I think being an introvert a bit is that I just, really enjoyed being able to read and compare my experiences to other people, um, especially people who consider themselves to be politically radical, who who were like, you know, at that time we were using the phrase women of color, which had, a, I think, a much more radical tinge to it than it does now, which basically means anybody who considers itself to be a woman and not white. I think back then it held a, a more specific kind of political connotation to it. So I should say that when I say women of color, that it, it meant something different in 2006, 2007 than it does in 2021. Um, so true. And we were, you know, and I, and I, I found other writers, other bloggers, other thinkers, other artists, other people who are working both inside and outside of academia or on the margins of it, you know, sort of kind of find your way through. Um, who were sharing, you know, what they were reading, what they were creating. And over time, between 2006, 2007, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I have stages of the blogging. So 2006, I was in Palestine. 2007, I had my kid. Um, 2008, I was back. It's, it gets confusing then. But like, I slowly but surely started to meet more and more people online who were having conversations I was really interested in and who were interested in having conversations with me. And I feel like, again, because we didn't really have social media the way we do now, it was really more like a one-on-one -on -one basis. You found somebody's blog and you wrote in the comments, you know, and then they wrote back to you and it felt very, um, probably what pen pals feel like more so than, what we have now, which is sort of this overwhelming and amazing space on Twitter and Facebook. And so 
when I say community, I think I'm more speaking about these sort of relationships that I've built with people like you. Um, you know, I can go through and name probably 20 bloggers. I really should have written down all the bloggers I used to feel no, no. much more in community with. And another thing that happened is that I saw that radical women of color were coming together, together and creating their own media projects, creating, you know, creating their own collaborative spaces. Um, there were also at that time, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, there were these um, blog, what were they called? Like blog carnivals? Yes, that's would, what they were called, yes. Yeah, where you would, um, sort of you were in community with other bloggers and you would share each other's works and you'd be responding to each other's works. And there was, I mean, probably the equivalent to that now is like a Facebook group, kind of. It, it, I'm trying to, you know, how would that translate? Except it felt more intimate. Also, it felt more private. Um, yeah you didn't have the sense that anybody in the world could come in and look at your stuff. To find a blog took time. To respond to a blog took time. And, um, you know, you were, yeah, it was more like writing letters and correspondences and emails and, um, you know, doing collaborative ideas and works with people one-on-one -on -one without it feeling yeah, there was a the where you had a, a you also had space to make mistakes, um, which I don't feel like people have now, and that's part of the reason I'm like I miss blogging, where you could say something or do something as you were working out these ideas, which I did a lot of times. My ideas have changed tremendously since then, and that was because I had the privacy and the support from other bloggers to sort of work through these ideas. I could post a blog people would come and comment on it and they would actually say, hey, have you thought about it this way? Or, hey, have you read this? Or like, hey, think through this. And I would be like, huh, let me think about that again and come back to you. And I didn't have that. And I think that's required to make community. You can't make community if you can't make mistakes, if you can't be vulnerable <laughs> about your ideas. And so, and Moya was, Moya, um, was, you were instrumental in that. When I first started blogging, I was like, I'm not a black feminist. I'm not a feminist. I don't want I don't want that. And it wasn't about the stigma of the labels that I I associated it with certain types of, you know, feminist histories that I did not see myself in lineage with. So I was like, I don't. And I felt like when people talked about, you know, being a black feminist, I was like, OK, that's cute. But for real, you know, like, y'all want to reinvent the wheel, be my guest. But I don't I don't I don't need to do that. Um, and then over time, as I started to see how people were moving, how they were thinking through ideas, how they were responding to events. I was like, oh, there really is a different place that Black feminism is coming from and going towards that isn't just tacking Black onto feminism and then going, boom, well, we're Black feminists, you know? Exactly. Um, and so I don't know if I would have been able to have those kinds of um, realizations and being able to make mistakes and being able to go back and go, oh yeah, what I said three years ago, I just don't agree with any longer. And for there to be grace from other people who also were doing the same thing. Um, yeah, so that's what community felt like to me. It felt like in my everyday world out, you know, in the, what we call it, meat space back then, um, where people, where I was interacting with people who had felt like 
relatively regressive ideas around gender, around race, around sexuality, around even around like how you communicate the words that we use. I could go online and go into the blogger space. Um, and even then like early Twitter, early Facebook and be, be able to make mistakes and work through ideas in public and um, not feel like I had to I don't know, monetize it. There wasn't, there wasn't a play, there wasn't, it wasn't connected also to be said, the last thing I'll say. It wasn't so strongly connected to my sort of work. It, it wasn't, I didn't have to worry about my boss or someone coming online and seeing what I had written in this rel not a private blog. It was a semi-private blogging space. And then them coming to me on Monday morning and being like, well, you said this online and blah, 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 blah. I was much more able to sort of, def you know, make a real break between me as someone who was working through these ideas and then me as someone who, you know, had to interact with people who had various ideologies that I didn't necessarily hold any, didn't hold or didn't hold any longer. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, it's that community that brought me to a lot of the ideas I think I, I don't think my ideas, my, 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 the, my framework changed tremendously, but the ways that I articulate them, who I see myself as being in community with, the lineages that I got to find out about, you know, like the sort of writers that had been writing before me, the histories about that, especially coming from like black folks and like, you know, other radical women of color. Like I had, I was, I also wasn't expected to know everything already. I didn't have to come in fully formed as this super, you know, radical who, who had all the ideas and all the right answers. I, yeah, I was allowed to be um, human and growing and to watch other people do it as well. I think that, yeah. I love that answer. There's such richness to what you're talking about. And I was having some trouble articulating the difference between that time that we had online and what's happening currently. And I think the language of pen pals is so important. And that reading and writing to each other, uh, that back and forth, a conversation between you and another person, all of that feels exactly right. Because now it seems much more about followers and also monetizing the questions, which wasn't our concern in those days. So do you have a sense of what changed? Do you think it's like to do with the platforms? Do you think it's to do with this current moment? What do you think the shift was? And do you have a sense of when you mark it? Like when you mark that shift occurring? I mean, I yeah, I was. It's so funny, right? Because um, so many times, like I'm, you know, I'm still online, obviously. Although my presence has shifted over the time, um, I'm much more careful about what I say in public versus what I said ten years ago. Um, and I think, in part, it just has to do with so many more people are online that social media is the. You know what I mean? Like when we think about social media now, it is huge. Um, and that changes the conversation because millions of people could see any one thing you wrote, where I feel like back then, even what we considered to be like the big blogs, 
weren't that big, right? And 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 so that changes things because um people because so many people who haven't been reading your work for months or years can come in and read one sentence that you wrote and take that and pull it in and and read all of this context that doesn't exist for you in that. And I saw that happening slowly but surely. Um, for me, I think it's I think it's a little different for me because so much of the time that I spent blogging, I wasn't living in the U.S. So I should probably give some context to that. So I, as I said before, I was living in Palestine in 2006. Um, and then in the fall, I went back to the U.S. I had my daughter. And then in the fall of 2007, I went down to um, to Mexico and was with the Zapatistas in Chiapas for six months. Um, even then I was blogging and even then it was still small. And then we'll fast forward a bit more and I end up in Egypt in 2009. And for me, that real shift happened was in 2011 when the Arab Spring happened because for the, with the Arab Spring, that was one of the first times that um, you saw a large political movement that clearly was highly influenced or was brought into fruition through Twitter, through Facebook, through social media. And I had been blogging, as a lot of people had in Egypt, um, in 2009 and 2010. And it had stayed relatively small. You had to because the government itself was locking up bloggers, and I was able to take risks because I wrote in English and not in Arabic. I just was. I took a you know. I took risk, but I I tried to keep it with to keep to give my own truth and my own analysis of the situation while still trying to keep some level of safety around me. Um, but in 2011, you know, when the Egyptian revolution happened and it was fueled so strongly through hashtags on Twitter, it, 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 it blew things up for me in a way that it just hadn't existed before. I had so many more eyes on what I was saying. I had so many more critiques in my DMs of the things that I was saying, even if I knew I was right, like having people in like Omaha telling me that I didn't know what I was talking about or whatever. And and that, I feel like for me, that was the place where I started to become much more cognizant of how big social media had become. And, um, you know, you can see that in 2011 and then you can kind of fast forward to 20, 14, when uh, Black Lives, the hashtag Black Lives Matter really starts to take off in, in response to Ferguson. And, and and you can just sort of see the evolution in those years, both for me, every year it became more and more, I'm trying to think of the word, like more, less and less private, um, mm -hmm. less and less about me having conversations with my friends online that you can happen to see if you're looking for it. And much more so about people making these very like public statements. And it felt like people were putting mm -hmm. out these kind of like press release, perfectly crafted statements that had to be put out there perfectly with the picture that, you know, you know that. And, and that's also okay. when, when sort of mainstream media comes into Twitter, comes into Facebook and starts, you know, lifting up or, you know, be interacting with in positive and negative ways with what's happening 
I want to say on the ground, but on in the sort of like social media space where okay. suddenly you could have a tweet and that tweet could appear on CNN in six hours. That changes the dynamic completely. Um, at least in the sort of the social justice realm. I think another thing that happened in that time is that people, and I'm not, you know, I'm 41 years old. So I feel like sometimes I'm like, back in my day. <laughs> I'm definitely in the same position. I definitely am in my get off my lawn that yeah. I don't have when it comes to the internet. <laughs> um, but like, there wasn't the sense of the, and I'm going to use the, the phrase now, influencer. There wasn't the sense that there were these people who were professional social media, social justice activists who crafted out these sort of perfect, not perfect, but, you know, these more cultivated, which is fine. I believe in selective vulnerability, um, images online and were being at the same time shown on CNN and MSNBC and were, you know, being at one point being invited to the White House. Like that changes the, the pos that changes the possibilities of social media and it changes the sense of what social media is supposed to do. Um, so that for me, just in a larger context is where I saw the change happen. Another part of the change, which was on a more personal level for me is that you know, I started working, um, I worked for, uh, in starting in 2014, before I had been doing freelance work. And so no one really cared what I said on my social media because I was freelancing. It, 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 people didn't really care. They weren't scared of it. But come 2014, when I was working for um, Telesota English, which is a uh, Venezuelan-based news agency, I had the experience of the first time where my bosses were watching what was happening on what I was writing on social media and coming to me and talking about it, asking, you know, so I didn't have, I no longer had a sort of semi-private, semi-public space where I could kind of just shoot off what I was going through during the day or what had happened even in my workplace without knowing that that was going to have repercussions for me, for my kids, for my finances, for my work, from all of that it became much more direct. And I know I wasn't the only person who had that sort of shift happen in 2013, 2014, um, where people who, and I think that happened, uh, just that, last, that happened in part because to be perfectly frank, in, 20, in 2009, 2010, even 2011, people kind of thought social media was a joke. That yep. was what dorky geeks did and real people had real <laughs> friendships in real life and they don't even, I'm not even on Twitter. And it's like, okay. And then once it starts, the, the platform starts to become a place where you can launch a career, people sort of assume that that's why you're on the platform now, that you're trying mm -hmm. to launch a career. You're trying to get to the next place. You're using this to get your journalism careers, you know, pop off. And so I started to get feedback a lot more, not feedback I took in as in they were right, but feedback like, okay, do I really want to deal with this? Uh, well, why would you even say that on social media? You know, da, 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 da. I'm like, well, because I'm not trying, I didn't come on here to build an identity or a platform or a brand. 
You know, I was, I was, I was, I really wrote at one point, I'm just talking with my friends. If y'all want to listen to the conversation, you can, <laughs> but this isn't for you. Um, and I remember I had to write several posts like that. And then I just thought, I'm tired of writing posts, trying to explain that my way of interacting on social media is different than people who are using it to be, um, who are using it to be citizen journalists in order to get their way to being paid media professionals. Yep. Um, so that was just a difference in, in the ways that we interacted and they won. <laughs> like now, you know, so yeah, I think that's where the change starts to happen. And then it kind of just ballooned from there. And it be and I think it became things I could have imagined, but I think hoped wouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Would you say then, would you say that you have experienced more misogynoir now in this current iteration or before in some of those early internet days? And so now, 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 okay. now, now definitely now. Um, and I was gonna say this too, because it, it, you know, it's an interest, you know, misogynoir is such an interesting thing, right? Because you just sort of see the, um, the patterns of misogynoir reenact themselves over and over and over again. So in the beginning, you know, I'm talking about in early times to say when social media was relatively small and when people had blogs and you just posted that blog to social media, you didn't, your, your blog, your social media was not yours or blogging communication space, there was definitely a lot, as you can easily remember, a lot of struggles in digital media around representation, around language, around where, you know, who are you accountable to, around whose ideas are you using and are you actually giving credit to where they, to where credit is due, so on and so forth. But still, I think of that being in that semi-public space, semi-private space also meant you had a level of protection. I could have okay. conversations with 30 people and I didn't have to worry so much about people coming into my space, which I thought of as my space, mm -hmm. um, um, that who weren't part of that conversation. And right. everyone else, you know, so other black women, other women of color would also push those people out. Like, you don't belong here. So why are you even in this? You know, why are you in the comment section? Why are you responding <laughs> to this? You know, there was that, there was much more of that sense, like stay in your own lane. You know, you want to write about X, then write about that. Don't come here and try to get into conversations that aren't yours. And that was legit. That felt very legitimate. I feel like now, it's much harder to make that claim. I mean, people still do, like, why are you coming into my space? Because people have the assumption that social media is for uber public consumption. So if you write it on social media, anybody gets to respond and people kind of shrug their shoulders at it. And you're seen as being very overprotective if you tell certain, like, I'm gonna block you. I don't wanna deal with this. You don't have, you know, you don't have the range to have this conversation. I think that's a lot harder to make. So it's a lot harder to push back maybe because of how we imagine what we think social media is supposed to do. Um, 
excuse me. No, you're making such a wonderful connection because I'm thinking too about some of those early instances of those of us who had been on Blogger, been on uh, some of the longer form, live journal even, having this moment where journalists and other people were starting to take what people had written in those spaces and publish it and say, actually, no, we're not cool with that. And journalists being like, but it's public. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that it also had to do with the idea that I felt like, um, you know, Black folks and like, you know, women of color, like that whole movement, there was still some, there was, it was still in contention. It still hadn't been decided that anything you said was automatically for public consumption and anyone could take it. It, it. There was still a conversation being had and there was still a pushback to it. And um, I highly advocate for that pushback. Um, mm -hmm. And I can, and, and part of the reason I'm gonna go off a little bit, but part of the reason I highly advocate for that pushback is because what I see when I'm on Twitter now is the same conversations we were having back in 2009, 2010. I'm seeing those same exact conversations, but without necessarily the space for folks to work out their ideas in semi-private, semi-public, without it you know, being taken into such a, being put into spaces which are white supremacists, being put into spaces in which you're going to get docs, being put into spaces in which people are, are just looking for red meat. Um, and so there was some of that, obviously, I can think of some very major cases in which that happened, but it almost feels like now it's, it, it, the, the social media space is so huge that you you can't you really can't combat it in the same way. Um, you know, there was a time when you could be twenty bloggers and you could you know twenty people on social media and you could push back effectively and change the narrative around what was being said. Twenty people—that's not going to happen today. You know, um, I would also say the last thing I would say is that I think that. It also, I never was really trying to get a huge following. I, this, the, the whole idea is sort of so, so silly to me. And you weren't, I didn't feel like I needed to in order to, for my voice to be respected. You know, I didn't feel like I needed to in order for my ideas to be considered worthy of conversation. And now it definitely feels like you need to have a certain follower count, you need to be a blue check mark on Twitter, you need to have 5,000 people following your page on Facebook in order for you to be able to make claims of, to, to make real claims about how you want your work to be used. Mm. Um, and I think that's really a shame. I think I, I have a lot of, I have a, I have a yeah, I, 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 I have to think about that some more. But I, I, I think that that has been not as beneficial as we think it is. Um, oh. No, and that actually leads to kind of my final question, which is what do you think needs to happen for misogynoir to transform, for some of these platforms to actually address misogynoir? How do you see us moving forward, what would you want to see in 
a social media? Is this a going back to our blogging days? Is this a remix, a reinstantiation, or something else entirely? I think it's going to be something else entirely. I think that that's sort of like, to me, part of the genius of Blackness is that we are constantly having our work appropriated and, you know, put into context that it doesn't deserve to be in, to be degraded. And then we come up with something even more brilliant, you know? Like, we constantly reinvent, like, how we're going to respond and we come up with new ways of doing it, you know? Like... Um, I, you know, cause I was thinking, as I was talking, I was thinking, well, there's still group text, you know, there's still telegram and signal now where you have these sort of sim more private spaces where you can work out ideas. Eh, it's a little, but I really do think that black folks are genius when it comes to technology. We are constantly f taking whatever is available and reworking it in ways that keep, that lets us survive and thrive and, and, work out ideas and work out new forms of how we want to be represented and present ourselves to the world. And so that's what I think is going to happen. I think that um, at, as we see, you know, this sort of rise of the influencer and these rise of these sort of large uh, platforms that are much more regressive than we want to admit at the time right now, I think that there are a lot of people who um, you know, I, I'll use the, for instance, I'll use the example of the defund the police um, movement that sort of started last summer and seeing people who I know, <laughs> I, I know philosophically, they are not abolitionists. There is nothing about their work that says that they are willing to take the kind of risks that abolition would require. But because it's the buzzword, it's the whatever of the day, they're going to sort of take it and run with it and water it down till it's just another reformist policy. So that's an interesting move that I'm, that's an, it's just interesting to me. But I think that Black folks, especially radical Black folks who are constantly pushing the edge in order to create spaces where Black folks where can survive and thrive are going to continue to do that. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Um, I don't know exactly where it's going to be. I think that there's going to be some, as long as there's a digital space, Black folks will take up their space in it. Um, they're going to create their own new, their own languages. They're going to create their own representations. You know, I keep thinking in my head, I'm like, well, you know what, one of the innovations, like we, so we have Twitter and then the interesting thing was about 2013, 2014, when black Twitter became a thing. And it was really like black Twitter took, black folks took Twitter and then reinvented it in a way that it actually would respond to what they wanted to be able to say. You know, they they took memes, which were kind of dorky, and, and sort of just worked it in ways and found found ways to get their, their ideas across with humor, with, um, you know, these sort of inner dialogues and inner conversations where now, you know, uh, I, you know, I can say three words and everyone knows the meme I'm referring to. If you're on, let's say, Black Twitter space, I can be like, well, me and my homegirls, my, you know, and everyone knows I'm about to say Bella and Doge. Like everyone knows the <laughs> context that that's going to be in. So I think that's what Black folks do best. I, I mean, well, we do a lot of things best. But one of the things that Black <laughs> folks do best is we, we, you know, we take an electric guitar and we make rock and roll. 
Um, you know, we uh, we look at two turntables and a microphone and we we make hip hop, you know? We look at a blogging platform that was full of sort of like uh, digital tech geeks and we're like, we're gonna make black Twitter. Um, so we're gonna do it again with whatever is given to us um, or whatever is available, not really given to us, but whatever is available, we're gonna revamp and remake it into a space that allows for us to survive and thrive inside of it. Um, I hope, I think it is always a hope, I hope that we get hmm, smarter a bit about understanding that not all of our skin folk or our kin folk. Come on. That we understand that simply because people have the right type of languaging doesn't mean that they're actually going to represent us when they get into those sort of closed door spaces um, that not most of us will be allowed into. Um, I hope that we sort of take note of history and become smart about who we, let's say, um, invite to the barbecue, um, to the cookout, yep. you know? So I, you know, because I, my, my, my larger concern isn't so much, will we be able to create spaces, but will we be able to learn from the past about the ways in which our work is, can be co-opted? We can't stop it completely, but we can definitely not co-sign it. Um, and yeah, that's, that's where I, that's where, because I mean, when blogging really first took off, it was like, Black bloggers, especially like when you look at Black feminist, like feminist blogging, the feminist blogging sphere, it was, as you probably remember, there were white feminists who were taking Black feminist work yep. and not crediting it. And now they are have huge careers now working for like the New York Times, yep. right? And I, I really, and, and that sort of history gets lost. And then you see people saying, well, why is this happening again? And I wouldn't be like, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> because we let them. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's what I think is going to happen. I think we're going to be genius because we are, and yeah. you are. And thank you so much for taking this time. I wanted to end with a question: Where can people find you? And one, do you want them to find you, given our conversation? Uh, and and what is bringing you joy and a sense of transformation these days? Well, yes, you can find me at Gorilla Mama Medicine on Twitter. That is, it's public. Y'all can, and I'm mainly on that space. I don't really write that much anymore, but I do retweet things, things, and I just sort of leave it at that. If you want to know my opinion on something, I'm like... I'm just gonna retweet this and leave it there. Um, so that's it. Um, and on um, Instagram, on at Maya Williams XOXO, I think I remembered that correctly. Um, so that's the that's where you can find me online. Um, and the things that bring me joy nowadays, hmm. I mean, most of the things that sort of are keeping me happy and fulfilled is, um, you know what it is? Is that I, 
love seeing especially young black folks online when seeing them as artists and creatives the visual art space for black folks in 2021 is incredible there is a mm -hmm. renaissance happening i think um in i mean there's obviously a renaissance happening sort of in the gallery spaces but also people who are taking their visual art and doing really beautiful, amazing, provocative work um, online. And I also want to give a shout out, not to any particular person, but specifically to visual artists on the African continent. I think that that work is just stunning. There are stunning artists on there that I am deeply jealous of. I'm like, oh. It's almost like it's a work that 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 physically hurts me because it's so beautiful and so well done, um, and they're doing it with um, a sense. They're doing it in a way. The thing that makes me happy about it is I can see their callbacks, both obviously to their own ethnicities and nationalities, to this idea of blackness itself, to this idea of questioning around gender, but also to this idea of of recognizing what diasporic black folks have brought to the continent and what they have you know like there's a conversation that's happening between diasporic black folks which i am a part of and then the you know people on the african continent where i lived for a number of years and that really feels like yeah it just, it just really feels like something that i haven't seen before i haven't seen in a long time and I think in the next few years, we're going to really see black visual artists um, just taking up amazing amounts of space. Um, yeah, that, that's what brings me joy. Thank you so much for taking the time, Maya. I really appreciate it. And I hope that uh, you all will join us for the next episode of Massage Noir Transformed podcast. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Noir Transformed, Transforming Noir, the podcast. I am your host, Moya Bailey. I want to also thank our producer, fabulous Jordan Myers, and you, listeners, for tuning in yet again. You can find all of the fabulous information mentioned in today's episode via the show notes and also a link to the transcript. Thanks, and we hope that you'll come back again. Bye.